Welcome to Stone's Notes by Stone Consulting. I'm Maureen Stonehouse. On today's episode, I'm talking to Don Haladia, a passionate earth and space science communicator that has been CBC's star man for 37 years. Don is also a retired professional geologist with a history of working at ConocoPhillips and predecessor companies. We'll be talking about the three M's, meteorites, meteors, and meteoroids. A highlight includes discussing how to distinguish a space rock from an earth rock. We're rocking out today with Don. Welcome to Stone's Notes. Hi Don, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here, Maureen. So today we're going to talk a little bit about a different kind of geology, astrogeology, the solar system. It's very tied into the shape of the earth, the outside influences. Um, you know, we have things like meteorites that come onto the earth and instantly change the landform. So can you tell us a little bit about meteorites? For sure. Well, I always like to begin with the three M's, Marine, And the three M's are, first we have a meteoroid. And this is a rock that's in outer space. And it can be anything from a, a dust grain or a sand grain to a size of a small mountain. But these are meteoroids. And when they get the size of mountains, we call them asteroids. But let's stick with the meteoroids, one of the M's. When we collide with one of these meteoroids with the Earth and it strikes our atmosphere, we'll see them as a flash of light in the sky. And it's a meteor. This is so one of the other M's is a meteor. And I'm sure you've seen them outside while you're camping out in the, you know, out in the country, even in your backyard, you might see a bright flash of light. And that's when one of these say sand grains intersects our atmosphere. And that's about a hundred kilometers up and it's gonna burn up in a flash of light. That's a meteor. Now, if it's bigger, and it survives the fiery entry into our atmosphere and lands on the ground and you have a rock, that's a meteorite. And those are rocks from outer space and there's many different kinds and we can elaborate a little bit on what a meteorite is. So if, you, if, if the meteorite comes all the way to the earth, you know, whether it's a small dust particle or a big mountain, you're gonna see that flash of light or are you gonna need a microscope if depending on the size? Yeah, if it's just a sand grain, you'll still see a flash of light. They're traveling so fast. There's so much energy. When I, you know, when I say fast, I mean, we're talking not in kilometers per hour. We're talking kilometers per second. And some meteors can travel 10, 20 kilometers to second, per second to as high as 70 or even more kilometers per second. We're, and that's tens of thousands of kilometers an hour. So when they're coming in that fast, that is pretty much like slamming into a brick wall. It, it just burns up. And so you're seeing plasmids. Everyone thinks it's kind of like friction, but it's really not. It's more a plasma develops a, a glow of gas in front of the, the particle and you're seeing the plasma. So that energy is converted to heat and light. And that's what we see in the night sky. And if it's really bright, we, I can elaborate a little more. If it's really, say it's the size of a, of a, you know, a, a rock or a boulder, you might get a fireball. And those are getting exciting because this is when they might start surviving. It's the size of a football or bigger. You see an incredible, you know, bright event in the sky. If it's brighter than Venus, and most people know how bright Venus is when it's, you know, in the morning or evening sky. If it's brighter than that, we call it a fireball. And if, it, if there's bursts of light, like it explodes, we call that a, a bolide. And those bursts are usually when meteorites are being 
sort of spalled off or they're falling off the main event. So that's when we get super excited if we see these bursts of light and we know that there's meteors being dropped to the ground. So that's, you know, meteorites are landing and that's very exciting then. That would be beautiful to see. And it's interesting too, you're saying it has to be big enough for it to be intact when it lands on the ground. So if you were to find one on the ground, how would you know it's a meteorite and not just another rock? And that's a really good question because there's lots of what I call meteor wrongs and not meteorites. And I get, I get you know, so many uh, emails and messages and people don't even believe me when I say, no, that's not a meteorite. But what you should look for, and I do have examples here in front of me, uh, you know, first of all, they're usually black. If it's fairly fresh, they'll be black and they have something called a fusion crust on them because they've just entered the atmosphere and there's a bit of, they get warm. And so you might see a bit of a black fusion crust on it. It's very thin. It's just a very thin layer because the center of it is usually quite light. But on the outside, you get this very dark black fusion crust. And if you were to take a rock hammer and knock off a little corner, you'd actually see that it's quite a bit lighter inside. And if you do get to look inside, if you see little white grains, they're called chondrules. These are some of the very first grains that were formed when our solar system was, uh, was developing. So right out of the solar nebula, we're starting with these little grains from our early solar system and they're called chondrules. You might see them inside the, a meteorite. Another uh, key example is that almost all meteorites have some magnetic susceptibility. An iron one is very easy because it just, it'll stick to a magnet, it's very easy. But these are, iron meteorites, although are probably the most common to us visually when we look at a textbook, they're actually quite rare to find on the ground, a very low percentage. Most of them are what we call stonies. And that's what, you know, that's what fell in say Saskatchewan back in 2008 and buzzard, uh, buzzard coulee there. So if you have a magnet with you, and what I'd like to do is take a rare earth magnet, suspend it on a fishing line or something, if you don't have one of those fancy magnets on a pen, and just come close to your rock. And if it has some attraction to it, that's a good sign that you might be looking at a meteorite. Another thing you might see on it on a meteorite are flow structures. Because it's actually melting some of the surface material, you might actually see some flow lines of material, molten rock, flowing down the center or along the surface of the meteorite or even an aerodynamic shape because it starts to come through the atmosphere and it starts to take on a bit of an aerodynamic shape. So those are all little clues to know that you're looking at a meteorite. But there are many meteor wrongs as well, which, uh, you know, you can, you can be fooled by, by. The black crust is a unique one because a lot of rocks when they weather, the weathering is a very similar color to the actual rock beneath it. So I like the concept that you explained there where, you know, it's going through the air really fast on fire. So how else would you get that? It's a very unique property of it, right? Exactly. And many of them are found in deserts, Marine, because, you know, how does a black rock land in a desert? So, I mean, it's very difficult for us to find meteorites in the Rocky Mountains. There's, as you mentioned, there's lots of black weathered rocks out there and, <laughs> and some may have some magnetites and it might even be somewhat magnetic and, you know, some, some magnetic susceptibility. But a lot of meteorites are found in deserts and you can, you can imagine why, like how did a black rock land in this desert of white or, you know, light colored sand? So that's where many of them are found, or in Antarctica, where they're coming at the foot of glaciers. That's quite a good source for meteorites. So you mentioned too the chondrules within the rocks that you could see. 
um, which I'm going to guess is a different mineral composition than you'd normally see on Earth. Are there clues within these meteorites that would tell you where in the solar system they potentially came from? Well, nine, over 90%, 95%, most are from the asteroid belt. So almost all the meteorites are from the asteroid belt. And the magnetic ones or the iron ones that I was talking about, the iron ones, must have come from a body that was big enough, and geologists will like this, because it was big enough that there was differentiation occurring where the heavier elements or minerals went to the middle. So we actually had an iron core. The lighter silicates moved out to the outer crust. So when something bad happened and this collided and it broke up, the core, we've got pieces of the core here. This is the core of an asteroid that was large enough that it actually separate. We had differentiation occurring within that body. Uh, not all of them were big enough to do that, even though most are, are stonies are crustal type material. But yeah, we do know that the uh, asteroid belt uh, has similar characteristics to what we see here in the terrestrial planets, very similar rocks. But there are different ones. There are um, some meteorites that come not from the asteroid belt, but from the moon or Mars. These are incredibly rare, but they are possibly, you know, they, we find them. I, I do have a piece of a Mars rock that this is, you know, this is a piece of Mars. And, you know, people ask, well, how do you know? It's a meteorite. It's got the black crust. It's got maybe some flow features, but it's actually a bit of basalt. And so the body, you have to imagine this world had to be big enough that there were volcanoes or lava flows to, you know, to actually have lava flowing out of basalt. Um, also, the age of this meteorite is all meteorites. When you, if you have a meteorite in your collection, Marine, you will touch a rock that's 4.6 billion years old. This is when our solar system formed. On Earth, we don't have rocks that are 4.6 billion years old because of weathering, plate tectonics. We basically recycle our rocks, so we don't have rocks that are of this. We might find some zircon crystals that are, you know, 4 billion years old or a little more. But to hold a rock that's 4.6 billion years old, that's from the asteroid belt. But Martian meteorites, because you had to have some geologic activity going on, they're younger than 4.6 billion years old. Plus it's a lava. It had to be from a bigger body. The other thing is if you measure some of the gases, there's little um, little vesicles, little holes there that trap gas. When this lava came onto the surface, it trapped some of the atmosphere from that body into this rock. And if you cut it open and collect and measure that gas, those oxygen isotopes are somewhat unique. And we measured those isotopes with the Viking landers back in 1976. So that really helped, you know, I say put the nail in the coffin that these are actually pieces of Mars. And that's very exciting. So it's really from looking at these oxygen isotopes that you can tell how old the rocks are. And then it helps you know that an additional way to know that they're not from Earth because they're just so much older that there's no possible way that it's an Earth rock. That's right. I mean, it's very rare to find rocks of that age here that, that in this type of condition, for sure. And plus it has a black fusion crust. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So if we don't have the meteorite coming into the Earth, um, sometimes there's been some missions where they go and collect some of the samples. What do you think of the Hayabusa 2? Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, there were, there's actually uh, two Hayabusa missions. The very first one just called Hayabusa, which uh, went to an asteroid called Itakoa, but it unfortunately 
uh, its sampling uh, mechanism didn't fire the, it's like a bullet that they fire in to break up the rock. It didn't fire properly. So they only got a few grains of sand. Um, uh, Hayabusa 2, they went back to another asteroid and this time it worked perfectly and even went, they went to two different um, uh, sample sites. And they, the Japanese, I love their Japanese mission because they even took a cannon with them where they released this, this package, an explosive device that was aimed at the asteroid and it separated from the main spacecraft. The main spacecraft went behind, to basically hide behind the asteroid when this explosive charge went off to produce a crater, a new crater on the surface of this small asteroid. And then they went back and sampled what that new crater dug up because basically digging down. So they have samples from the first where it's sort of like a, a more, you know, undisturbed surface or regolith as they call it. And then one that dug down a little deeper and that will be re-entering on December the 6th this year. So very exciting. I'm ho I was really hoping to go to Australia to see this re-entry. I'm not sure. I, I would go with Dr. Alan Hildebrand from the University of Calgary in the Earth Sciences Department there, and uh, or Geosciences, I think they're now called. Uh, but we'd have to, I think, quarantine for two weeks in Australia just before we could leave and go see the landing. And then when we came back, we'd have to quarantine for another two weeks. So I'm not sure we'll actually be doing this, but Alan, um, Alan might do it. I don't know. We'll, it's a, a big uh, commitment task of my wife and family. <laughs> that's, that's Hayabusa too. Canada is actually on a mission called OSIRIS-REx. So there's an American mission and Canada supplied the lasers, uh, something called OLA, the OSIRIS-REx laser altimeter. And that's going to tell the distance as the spacecraft is coming in. And on October 20th, and just uh, a short while from now, just a little over a month from when we're recording this, Maureen, they're going to be sampling this site called Nightingale. And it's been a real challenge for this mission because the asteroid is a lot rockier. The sample system they use is a nitrogen gas that kind of blows up material into this uh, sample collection device. But rock, it is a very rocky surface, not a sandy surface. So it's going to be a little more challenging to try to collect these rocks inside this, this sort of like a hubcap thing. So it's going to be an interesting experiment. And um, I'm hoping they come back and we get some samples of two different asteroids. Because even though meteorites are, we're basically sampling the asteroid belt, we have no idea where they're coming from, Marine. Like it's just random samples of this asteroid belt. But for OSIRIS-REx and Hayabusa, they actually targeted a well-known near-Earth asteroid that they can examine and know exactly where those samples are coming from. Very exciting time for planetary geology. So are there predictions of what they expect to find in these samples? Well, these are some um, very rare, um, they call them, uh, uh, they're, they're chondrites. So they're, they're very, they're, let me just say they're very primitive um, asteroids. The ones that separated into, um, uh, you know, they had, they actually were big enough that they could separate and, and have some, um, call it, you know, geological uh, uh, processes. These are very rare, very undifferentiated, very primitive asteroids. So that, it's a very good question. I think it'll be rich in carbon. There could be um, evidence of clays or water. I mean, I'm just guessing here, Marie, but it's going to be very exciting to see uh, what they're bringing back. This is, you know, they're, they're sampling some very rare asteroid material. But on, also, on the other hand, these asteroids are called near-Earth asteroids, and these are ones that could hit us. And especially the one the American um, uh, uh, mission is, is sampling, uh, 
called asteroid Bennu is one of, uh, you know, is an asteroid that I'm not sure, I can't remember the date, but it can get really close to us in a, you know, a few dozen years from now. So it's really good to get a handle of how these asteroids are put together, because if it does ever does come close to us or in an impact type situation, we want to know what's the best way to protect our planet. You know, do you send something there to try to push it out of the way? Do you try to blow it up? I mean, like uh, there's many ways of trying to protect our planet, but if there's a there's a very good call it survival reason for us to examine these what's called near Earth objects. That is definitely a good re reason to study these asteroids. And um, one of the most famous asteroid impacts on Earth is the end of the Cretaceous time when dinosaurs went extinct. And uh, we want to avoid that at all costs. What other big events have there been with asteroids hitting the Earth? Oh, there's been many. I mean, you just have to go to uh, Arizona. There's, uh, you know, Behringer, a meteor crater in Arizona. It's only a few thousand years old. But if you look, you know, we, 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 you and I worked in the, in the Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin, and even though there's not meteors maybe on the surface, when we walked around, there's glaciers that have been by, so everything's been kind of eroded off. Yeah. But if you look at, use seismic and look below the surface, there's evidence of some large impacts here, right here in Alberta. One of the largest in the Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin is the Steen River Astroblem, or, or impact crater, if you want to call it that. It's only a two, three hundred meters below the surface. There's no real evidence of it on the surface. It's all kind of muskeg and, you know, kind of a very boggy area on top. But beneath is a crater that's, you know, range is a bit elliptical in shape. So imagine 20 to 25 kilometers in size, like very large crater striking northern Alberta. That's where it is right now in terms of where our, our plate is, the North American continent. And it struck us about 91 million years ago. So there would have been a very large impact that affected uh, the uh, local area here in Alberta 91 million years ago. So absolutely. And then, like I said, there's been many events. Uh, if you remember back in 2013 in February, there was the Chelyabinsk year that uh, did an airburst and, you know, hurt over a thousand people, damaged over 7,000 buildings. That was the big explosion. So that's Chelyabinsk. And then, of course, as I mentioned, uh, in 2008, the last really, well, there's been other big ones, but the one I remember more, uh, most vividly, because I was out looking for meteorites with the university team, uh, was uh, the Buzzard Cooley one in Saskatchewan. That's, uh, and that was like November, I think, 20th. It, and it was just perfect, right? Supper time. So there's people all over driving around with dash cams and going home from work. And so a lot of people saw it and lots good camera, like a lot of security video, lots of good video. And uh, the University of Calgary team was able to pinpoint and find pieces. I think within a week, about seven days or so, they actually had some samples on a frozen lake up in, uh, in Northern Saskatchewan near Buzzard Cooley. So very exciting. And, and to get something that quickly after it's, like it's not as, you don't have a lot of weathering, you don't have a lot of contamination, that is very, very good to get a sample that quickly. And are those the samples that you have from the Saskatchewan event? Uh, the, the one, the stony one I have right here is one that I helped the university found. This is from Buzzard Cooley, Saskatchewan. It sure is, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very neat. It's one of those special moments in time that I'm sure you'll always remember and you have a memento to remember it by even, which is really neat. Yeah, I should make it, should make it very clear that a meteorite belongs to the landowner so whoever, if, if a meteor find falls in your backyard, it's yours. 
if it lands on a like a public roadway uh, waterway that's public uh, but most of the time it's the landowners so something like buzzard coulee it, it landed it covered uh, the strewn field of meteorites covered many many uh, square kilometers lots of farmland and the university made a deal with the landowners saying, look, don't plant a crop. <laughs> we will have teams of people walking up and down the fields and half of the meteorites went to the landowner and half of the meteorites went to the university. And this way um, you can do some research and the landowners get some meteorites which they could sell. And that's how I got my sample is that this is one the university did not want. They left it with the landowner and all these meteorites are cataloged and I mean everything, the date and, you know, it's very well cataloged. I knew which ones I was, you know, helping to find and it was very special to be able to contact the landowner and they're most willing to sell it for a reasonable price and add it to my collection. It's just great to have something, like you say, it's a special moment when you find a rock from outer space, it's a billion years old, and now it's in my little collection here. don't have a big one, but it's, it's a special one for sure. Yeah, that's really great. So I feel like we've learned a lot here about meteorites, meteoroids, and meteors. Is there anything else that you want to share about them? Well, I'd like to, if, I'd just like to give a website here. If you do happen to see a fireball marine, now if you do, you're out walking the dog or, you know, you're out for an evening walk or an early morning walk, and you happen to see a fireball, the first thing I want you to do is look at your cell phone and get the time. <laughs> Because time is important and, and we're, we're, we're very, if you ever looked at eyewitness studies, we can, our minds play tricks with us. So get the time, write it down, and then just try to record, you know, how long did you see it? You know, one Mississippi, two Miss, how long did the event last? And of course, if there were any bursts, if you saw a burst of light, and sometimes you'll see the little, little glowing, like almost looks like embers falling off, those are meteorites. So very important. And then you can go to a website to report this. And it's uh, fireballs, uh, I'm gonna read this out, fireballs.imo, so an international media organization. So fireballs.imo.net. And you just go to that website and there'll be a fireball report form. And that gets sent out to you know, researchers all over the world basically. And they can then try, if there's enough reports, you can then triangulate because you wanna get a direction. So you need to have some idea. If you know where you were and you say, look, it's over that house or that chimney, we can go back to that spot with a compass, take your reading, get a measurement and get an angle of where you saw that fireball. And if we get other reports from other directions, we can then triangulate. And that helps you know, researchers find meteorites. Very important. And you know, I, I hope we get to see some more in the not too distant future. Like every year, there's usually some really bright ones, but they're in the mountains and they're really hard to find. We want to find them in the wintertime marine to the east on the flat, flat prairies on the white snow. That would make it the easiest to find meteorites. <laughs> <laughs> so are you involved in the expeditions to go find them after the reports come in? Yeah, if volunteers are, uh, are required or requested, uh, Absolutely. I'm, you know, I, I have more free time now, especially during COVID time here. So uh, absolutely to go out and walk in the field, uh, you use rare earth magnets on a stick and you just start touching everything that looks like a rock. And, you know, who knows, you may find a rock from outer space. So yeah, usually the University of Calgary, uh, the geosciences department will put out a request. That sounds like a great way to spend the day, go searching for some space rocks, right? Absolutely, Marie. Can't think of a better one, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Don. I think we've learned lots of great information and it was a lot of fun chatting to you about this. 
Oh, happy to do it, Maureen. Have a great day. Stone's Notes is brought to you by Stone Consulting. We can be found online at www.stoneconsulting.info or send us an email anytime at stoneconsultingcorp at outlook.com. On behalf of everyone here, I'm Maureen Stonehouse. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.